0: The Predest by Track presents Stevie Wonder Classics. Today we're going to be talking about Sir Duke uh, from the album Songs in the Key of Life, released on September 28th, 1976. On the track, we've got Stevie Wonder... Uh, but we've also got Mike Cimbello, Ben Bridges, and Nathan Watts bringing guitars. Uh, Raymond Pounds is on the drums. Hank Red is on alto saxophone. Trevor Lawrence returns on tenor saxophone. And Raymond Maldando is on trumpet, along with returning Steve Madeo, who plays trumpet as well. Uh, the track is 3 minutes 53, and joining me to talk about today is Elliot. Hi. There's a lot of people on this track. Uh, obviously, Stevie is playing his, uh, his Fender. Um, he's also playing mm. the drums as well. Um, and and then he's also um, uh, he's also got the ARP 2600 um uh, it's funny because by the time we get to this album he had moved mm-hmm. on from the tonto uh, which he had used on so many other albums uh to the to the Yamaha Gx1 and the ARP 2600 was his kind of main two um, yeah, synthesizers that he used yeah so you know uh, I think that the key thing on this uh, on this song is the uh the opening drums i love the opening drums on this song um it's just a great way for them to kind of like start the song um and you know then after that kind of everything just keeps building up Mm -hmm. Um, oh yeah and i love i love in particular the kind of like horn arrangements um you know it's just such a like the entire song is so well put together um, and there is kind of like a, a really uh, the, obviously the catchy chorus, um, which again th- it's weird because there's a few songs where th- there's, the title isn't mentioned by Stevie Wonder, uh, and he says it one time in one of the verses, but the chorus itself is not Sir Duke. And I would I would guess that s- some people who probably don't know the titles of songs uh, would probably call this song "They Can Feel It All Over" right, because that's yeah. the that's the part that everyone kind of remembers yeah. from the song
1: yeah if you if you grew up uh where you got all your music from napster or kazaa or just any uh <laughs> file sharing service and all the song titles were wrong they're just a the chorus or you got all the bands wrong you probably do know it as uh, they can uh, feel it all over
0: yeah probably labeled as they can feel it all over um by uh i don't know some other artist not stevie wonder um you know because they also had to have it getting that completely wrong as well. Oh, man.
1: Those yeah. were the dark ages. <laughs> Millennials nowadays, they're lucky they don't have to deal with that.
0: Uh, the kind of touching thing about this is, you know, Duke Ellington had passed away a couple of years before. And obviously, he's, you know, this is, this is kind of uh, Stevie Wonder paying tribute to him because... Um, you know the, kind of the groove that's that's on this song is very much a kind of uh a Duke Ellington style like it's basically him kind of doing uh, I wouldn't say a parody but a, a, certainly an homage to Duke Ellington
1: oh yeah uh, in uh, the way that a, a the mixture score. of uh, it, it is kind of like a big band feel yeah i would say
0: yeah and i think it's helped by the fact that he has um you know uh Mike Nathan and Ben playing the guitars for him um, and obviously Raymond Pounds has like a slightly different way of playing the drums to the way Stevie does, um, you know, and I, I don't know like just having a band playing the song mm-hmm. gives it a completely different feel to Stevie Wonder in the studio by himself, um, you know. So if you think about like some of the kind of Stevie Wonder songs that he's played in the past that have had a certain kind of like drum groove, um, then obviously, you know. I mean, other songs on this album, pretty much, <laughs> you know. Um, then they they kind of sound one way, but then when he has, um, you know, a band play stuff for him, uh, it still has, like, the Stevie Wonder groove there because, obviously, he's the one who will be playing the demo and saying, copy this. Uh, hmm. But Raymond Pounds is kind of bringing his own thing to the to the kind of the song, having other artists come in and doing that. Um, you know, I've seen Mike Sembello's on a number of tracks on this album, so... Yeah, um, you know, yeah. He, he, it kind
1: w- of frees him up a little bit more to maybe get a, a different, a certain kind of vision out there
0: for his yeah. music. Yeah, and and the thing is as well, what's quite important is is having the kind of the, the you know the four piece horn section, um, and the fact that Stevie Wonder is a, is effectively, um, playing the role of the band leader as Duke right. Ellington would do. So when he's kind of singing and you know, there's some vocalizations where. It sounds like he's directing people, um, you know, in the kind of in the band to do certain things. And so you can kind of just hear them in between some of the lyrics where he just you hear a noise from Stevie and it's almost like he's pointing at someone to say what they exactly. got
1: Exactly. And I, yeah. I, I love that about the song, too. The, uh, I'll say this. Uh, man, I felt a little silly. Not silly, but like hearing the song and listening to the song while I was out for a walk, I had to stop. I had to kind of stop it because I had to stop everything so I couldn't start dancing. <laughs> we just couldn't start it was so it, it's a very infectious song very much so
0: yeah and i think obviously um i mean he has this kind of this little pun joke where he says just because a record has a groove don't make it in the groove and then of course that's yeah. punctuated by the horns um, and it kind of work. it works so well Um, you know, and and, I mean, like you say, you know, when you (laughs) you can tell right away uh, letter A when people start to move so obviously, and then you have those kind of like little, I don't know, it sounds like, it sounds like one of those things that you blow, like a, that has like a whistle thing in that, uh, you know, makes a noise that is at the end of the, kind of each of the the verse lines Um, yeah, so like, I mean it has this deliberate kind of like party feel and it is it's like the the kind of chorus, which later on gets repeated quite a bit Um, you know is obviously there to to make people move you know that is that is what he's trying to do Um, you know and I just love the kind of the the, you know the opening sentiment which is music is a world within itself with a language we all understand with an equal opportunity which obviously very important for Stevie Wonder uh, Mm. for all to sing dance and clap their hands so you know what you were trying to resist is what he's trying to do Um, so you know you're trying to not kind of dance and clap your hands, and that's that's exactly what he's looking to do with yeah. this song. So, um, you know, you were trying to resist it, but unfortunately that's, that's the aim of this song. Uh, but Ugh. I just, I do kind of like, I mean, I think it's not completely true that, you know, uh, music is a world within itself with a language we all understand, because there are obviously a number of different musical styles that do not use, you know, the kind of uh, the 12 note scale sure. and have different stuff. So, but yeah, from, you know, from a mostly, you know, um, Northern hemisphere kind of Western civilization point of view, um, you can listen to music from, you know, like 900 years ago, and you can still understand what that is trying to do. You know, like if you yeah. listen to any kind of like Gregorian chants from like you know, 1300, you still understand the kind of the, the way those voices interact and how they're, they're kind of working. And, you know, even if you may not understand the language, you can at least understand the harmonies and the, the melodies uh, obviously, Gregorian chants pretty much all harmonies, very few. Melodies right. All there. very low harmonies. Yeah. So, I mean, and I think I think that's that's the, that's the point is like, you know, um, most people these days, even if you can't understand language. And I think maybe the biggest sign of this in recent years has been the rise of like K-pop. Um, I don't know that right. people can understand every word of K-pop, but they understand the melody and they understand the harmonies in it. And so, you know, it does kind of have its own language um you know and there are some Uh, people i'll be
1: honest i was listening to some k-pop after i listened to some (laughs) of the songs here and yeah it can be very catchy and some of those songs just stick
0: funded by the funded by the korean government by the way so exactly there is a lot of (laughs) problematic
1: things about k-pop
0: yeah um but i so like obviously the kind of the rise of you know certain genres over you know in certain time periods um, it it like it doesn't really matter because essentially it all comes down to music. And I know there are people yeah. out there who poo poo music theory, um, but music theory is very helpful in in kind of preserving stuff that cannot be recorded. So the reason that we have Gregorian chants is because somebody came up with a system of writing it down, um, mm. and that's the same with you know music. Sin- I mean, basically pre nineteen twenties people didn't record music; they they only ever performed it live. Um, so you know being able to record music and write it down has always been very kind of helpful Um, and even within that you know there are certain different ways that you can record music you know in in forms of writing it down the key is that people can understand it and if you're stevie wonder and you've got perfect pitch and also, you know, are extremely gifted at playing many instruments, then people can hum a tune and you can probably play it back without even having to think about it. So, um, But yeah, but I do love the groove joke as well. You know, just because records have grooves does not mean that the songs coming from them have a groove. Um, and I, I, what I kind of like about that as well is it's it's probably the kind of the the most that Stevie Wonder has ever done to take a shot at whatever's going on in the 70s. Um, so at this point, this is like seventy six. So obviously disco is getting very big, and I'm. It feels a little bit like there's a veiled threat there from Stevie Wonder of like just because you have records being pressed that your music is on does not mean that your record has a groove. So you know, like it feels like he's he's kind of putting himself a little bit above some of his contemporaries, which at this
1: point. But then a couple of years later, he reaches he releases Do I Do, which is a disco
0: <laughs> song, a one I kind of love. Yeah, I'm, uh... I mean yeah i mean you know by the time we get to the 80s i feel like he's lost all the high ground um but at the (laughs) moment i would say at this point he has the high ground he is unmatched as an artist um, in 1976 so he's he's i just
1: want to make sure is that a pun or was that an
0: act like higher higher ground uh i mean you know let's say it's a pun um okay so and the chorus, of course, is just the repetition of you know they can feel it all over, they can feel it all over people. But the thing is, I, what really makes the chorus is the horns. Like we've had the horns kind of interacting, um, but we have this whole thing where there is a horn, there is a specific horn line which later we get a solo of, and it's kind of doing these little punctuations in the in the chorus. Um, and I don't know, it's just the arrangement of the horns on this song is is kind of amazing. Um, mm. you know it's just done in a way that like you ca- you kind of can't argue with how well placed they are and I like as well how immediately in the second verse and the final verse because there is no other verse after this um, you know it's just chorus for the rest of the song um, you know he tells us music knows it is and always will be one of those things that life just won't quit but here are some of music's pioneers I don't think that actually rhymes with anything, but you know, you go with it. Uh, the yeah. time will not allow us to forget. Again, that doesn't really rhyme with quit, but you know, he he's it forcing it fit, through. It needs to fit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then he tells us there's Basie Miller mo and he puts a, like a little hiccup in the middle of that word, so it makes it fit the uh, the syllables of the sentence. Yeah. Um, and the king of all, Saduke. Uh, and with a voice like Ella's ringing out, there's no way the man can lose. And again, we get that kind of like uh, whizzing noise at the end of that line. Uh, and then we go back to the chorus uh, a couple of times. Uh, but yes, yeah, so you know, obviously he's he's referencing you know uh, Count Basie, um, you know he's he's referencing Glenn Miller, who of course you know was obviously uh, you know also a big band leader, um, and then of course Louis R. Armstrong, um, yeah, who again uh, you know a very talented uh, musician. Uh, And then he finishes off telling us about Sir Duke. Uh, And I always find it weird because he... Like, this is the only time he says Sir Duke in the entire of this song. But he kind of almost does those as one word. It's almost like Sudoku. It's just one... It's one syllable away from being Sudoku. And I kind of... I just kind of... I mean, the thing is, of course, you know, Duke Ellington's death was probably obviously on on Stevie's mind. Um, And it's not like up until this point Stevie had really done that much in the way of, like, you know, jazz or big band... So right. it's kind of it's kind of almost a little bit weird to hear him almost giving this as like an influence, almost saying like, here's a list of people that, you know, I mean, Count Basie, I can understand because obviously he's a pianist. Uh, Glenn Miller, you know, again, he's kind of like a, a big band leader. Um, and and the same with Louis Armstrong, obviously, you know, Louis Armstrong sang some wonderful songs. But then Sir Duke it doesn't really feel like Duke Ellington is somebody that kind of um, Stevie Wonder would have. Uh, would have kind of taken that much influence from. But then when you hear a song like this and you hear him kind of acting as a band leader, um, it kind of fits, you know, like he's obviously somebody who uh, particularly in the previous kind of three or four albums has been able to kind of call people in like, you know, the Jackson five and have them just do backing vocals. (laughs) And, and so he obviously has this kind of presence where he can bring people into the studio and tell them what to do. Uh, because obviously he he kind of knows how to compose the piece, you know, from the music that's in his head. So you he can kind of right. say, "This is the song I want to play," you know, and have kind of someone come in with a bass and be like, "This is what the bass line is going to sound like." Can you play that? And then you know, so if it feels like, although he's never done what Sir, you know, Duke Ellington did, which is to have like a, a big band behind him and kind of lead that mm. band, it still feels like in the studio he he has kind of done that anyway, but just in the, on a right. smaller scale um but then he proves here that he can do it he proves that he can have like a band of like eight or nine people and he can kind of give them instruction um and i think as well you know obviously he says you know with a voice like ella's ringing out ella fitzgerald obviously i feel like everyone should already know that um he says there's no way the band can lose and i just like that like the idea of saying you know we've got someone who's got such a, a good kind of like you know performance you know who's who's such a great performer at the front of the band and there's no like it doesn't matter what the rest of the band is doing you can't lose with that vocalist and i think that's you yeah. know a nice little kind of tribute it, to it her. it's kind
1: of like his dream band coming together uh when uh, for uh, when he was growing up I, like in my mind i'm just thinking right now of like the distance between big band music and motown soul um, I'm not sure where I'm trying to go with this, but just like how, you know, I think this is a first, like with what's going on, there is like a lot of, uh, influence from jazz, but maybe more like bebop and a little more down, uh, uh, like, you know, a little not quieter jazz, but it wasn't big band. It was so much big band jazz, but this song especially has so much musical history in it and then incorporates a lot of that big band music, um. That I think it's just in general kind of rare, would have been rare in the 70s by that point.
0: I mean, I think it's interesting because obviously he, he says from letter A, referencing, you know, Take the A Train. Right. Um, and Take the A Train came out in 1941. So by the time this album came out, that's a, a gap of what, like 33 years, 35 uh. years. Yeah. And it's it's been almost it's more than 40 years since, since this album came out so the, the the gap from take the a train to this song coming out um is five years shorter than the gap from now to take the eight of um to songs in the key of life um so it's I, I, it's kind of interesting that like it feels like um you know big band jazz was kind of long dead before um, yeah you know the 70s uh, whereas the you know the music that Stevie Wonder is kind of doing is still kind of going, it's still you know it's still something that kind of people do, so it's it's kind of lasted a lot longer. Um, hmm. But yeah, I I mean uh, the kind of the chord structures of this song, uh, I'm not going to get into the you know ins and outs, but it kind of roughly does match. Uh, take the a-train except there's a few kind of key changes there's a few um you know different essays out there about stevie wonder's music that you can kind of find online that will kind of give you the ins and outs of it but it basically just is changing a normal kind of chord into a a minor chord basically um so it gives a slightly different cadence when the, the kind of line finishes um but then my favorite part of the song which is the kind of the call and response um, where we, we you know we have the chorus a couple of times and then we get the horn break and in there it, this is where Stevie Wonder is kind of directing the band and you can hear him kind of st- singing the line that the the horns are playing and then he has these little shouts in between the lines <laughs> where, where he's kind of as they finish doing something he's he kind of shouts something to them and then sh- and and it's almost like he's kind of singing singing or telling them what to play next or singing what they're gonna play next obviously with this being in the studio. That isn't what they would have done, but it gives the feel of Hugh Ellington in front of a big band, kind of letting the band know what he wants them to do. Um, right. Just before we kind of come in for one final round of the choruses, um, you know, and then towards the end when he has the, you can feel it all, all, all over people, you know, the kind of repetition and the it's all again, it feels like he's almost getting towards scat, but he's not quite going towards scat singing. Like he's just staying within the lyrics. He's not kind of singing nonsense. Um, you know, which obviously is the, you know, the key element of scat singing is, is kind of to not sing words, is to just kind of, you know, sing um, kind of some kind of melody, but just using different kind of syllables. Um, and then towards the end, as we get the outro, we have this, you know, him saying, can't you feel it all over? You know, come on, let's feel it all over. Like kind of trying to get the crowd behind him, basically. Like Yeah, you trying mentioned. to get me to dance out in public while I'm trying to shop for food. <laughs> yeah. And I just, I don't know, it's just a wonderful... Um, you know I feel like I feel like it goes with that same but six out of five you know just an amazing song and also a fitting tribute to Duke Ellington like you mm-hmm. know him kind of like I feel like this could have been like overblown a little bit I feel like Stevie Wonder could have said bring me like you know a 40 piece big band and could have really gone over the top and it would have ended up feeling a bit more like parody um instead he kind of keeps it a little bit tighter and you know just makes it a bit more about like you know the kind of Uh, you know the feeling of of kind of being in front of a big band Uh, which Mm -hmm. like I said you know big bands were kind of you know pretty much gone for about 30 years before this so it's kind of interesting for him to kind of call back to that Um, you know and just I don't know it's just just a wonderful song Um, you know and and I, I think as well the fact that he decided to then you know the following year release it as a single as well like it I mean I'm not saying it's like a risk as a single um but it feels like it's a a bit more like it's it's a bit kind of different to to what he was releasing as singles around this time
1: well what was the single he was i guess like the closer singles he was releasing at the time like this is again just so joyful and i know i i i there was uh you you mentioned some um documentaries or just some essays and articles about the song and there is the vox one and it starts off by saying that it is an r and b song through and through but it has so many jazz influences but the more I listen to it, I feel like it's more it's definitely more of a jazz in a big band song um uh, but if you if you if you know if you find the documentary or if you find the video you know that has a lot better uh explanation of it but I was curious like what was the single series releasing because it just it's hard to imagine a world without this as a single. It's just so joyful.
0: Right before this, the the previous single was "I Wish," uh, mm. which obviously now finds its fame uh, twenty years previous to this as being the main sample for World Wild West." Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but that kind of has the more traditional, like Stevie Wonder, um, you know, uh, keyboard riff, um, and mm-hmm. then after that we have "As," which is kind of more of a traditional kind of like um, soul ballad. So yeah, it it feels, I mean, just the fact that it's kind of almost like a faux big band song just feels a little bit odd. I mean, obviously I agree, it's very upbeat and happy and stuff, and that that works as a single. Um, But it's just, to me, it feels like a slightly odd choice uh, because I could think of at least two or three other songs on this album that I would put out as singles before um, this song. Uh, one of which we will talk about that was not released as a single because Stevie Wonder refused to cut it down so, <laughs> so um but yes, yeah, so, you know, like there are other songs on here that I think he could have probably put out as singles, and they would have been as big, but it's just it's just really weird that like he was he was like oh no this this is the one that I'm gonna put out there, uh, but at the same yeah. time, still a gr- you know a great choice um yeah.
1: I also wanted to say six uh, out of five as well, yeah, you know, sometimes listening to it it's like a little corny. But at the same time, it also makes me want to dance all the time and I have to stop <laughs> myself or I have to stop myself from like just belting it. And like, you know, it, it, it he's right. He, he it's it's pretty meta in its own weird way, where it's a song about how music just does something to you as a human being. And he's doing it through a song and then the song is doing it to me. And then I have to stop myself because <laughs> I don't want to look crazy.
0: Yeah, and I think, like, you know, it was the number one in the US. It was number two over here. Um, Mm. You know, it got to number one in the hot R&B hip-hop songs, um, uh, which I'm sure at some point will, you know, include many other different genres because, uh, as we know, Billboard had many different weird charts. Um, But, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's just such a kind of infectious song um, and, you know, kind of so happy. Uh, Also, I I think the thing is as well is, you know, Uh, Duke Ellington, I guess, obviously, he's a big band leader, but he was also, you know, uh, a pianist. And I think that's probably one of the things that kind of Stevie Wonder, you know, took as an influence is just, uh, you know, kind of being able to kind of, you know, play piano, but also tell other people what to do. uh, Yeah, he got very good at. Uh, By the end of the year, it was the 18th best selling song in the US in 1977 uh so that's not bad going um you know to have like one of the top 20 best-selling <laughs> singles of of that year um and of course by that point he'd also won the grammy for you know album of the year as well for songs in the key of life so you know he had a he had a pretty good uh 77 um yeah but a yeah. good year yeah you know he, he did okay uh so is there anything else that needs to be said about Sir Duke? listen to it
1: as many times as you can
0: yeah yeah, it's just a great song. And I, yeah. I think I think the thing is, you know, I think I feel like people can kind of take Stevie Wonder for granted just because of how great he is. And then you listen to something like this and you're like, oh yeah, this is why people think he's great, because, <laughs> because yeah. he is. Like, you know, you just listen to something like this and, you know, this is why basically, you know, the writer for Rolling Stone who wasn't keen on Stevie Wonder's first couple of albums of this decade ended up being turned around and declaring Songs in the Key of Life like one of the best albums ever made just because Stevie won him over with his genius. Um, so well let's go to plugs then is there anything we should plug out here well you can find me on twitter at e. Wallace. and you can find this particular project on twitter at steviebywinder thanks as well for being my guest here today Elliot. thank you very much and otherwise you can clean it all over yes